definitely a technical error. Technically, I'm trying to use this thing. That's the error. Hi, Robin. Is that Heather? <laughs> Hi, sweetie. <laughs> I haven't seen you for a hundred years. <laughs> Good to see you. Nice to see you. This is my sister. Always. Everyone else. <laughs> Perfect. All right, well, it is seven o'clock. Some others will kind of probably sneak in here while we're going, that's great. Um, so tonight we are going to do our best to finish Galatians chapter four. Um, I have hopes that we will. It's not that one, not that many verses ahead of us, just 10 verses. So we will get to that. Um, but it is kind of a big section as far as a lot of interpretive moves and a lot of things to talk about um, in, in some of the things that Paul does which is a little shocking with the way he reads the genesis text so we'll talk about that tonight um a lot of discussion in in the rest of the book of, of galatians we're really going to spend a lot of time talking about freedom and what freedom means now we've, we've laid a really good groundwork for this in the last couple of weeks that we've been talking about slavery so then obviously freedom is going to be the opposite of of slavery so we'll get to what freedom means and this text will help us start to, to picture that. Then as we run into Galatians 5, which starts off with, with a discussion of freedom and then ends with a discussion of freedom. So that's, that's kind of what's ahead of us. And um, let's pray first. And then I'm admitting people. Let's pray first, and then we will get to our study. We pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, you have set us free. And so we rejoice that we are free from the shackles of our sin, free from the fear of death, and free from the separation from our holy and almighty Father that was caused by our sin. And so in our freedom, we pray that you'd give us wisdom to live as you'd have us to live, to love as you have loved us. And now this night, we pray your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom as we read your word, that we may do so according to your will, and thereby see our Savior Jesus in his name. Okay, so um, tonight, we're like I said, we're going to finish Galatians 4, hopefully. And um, yeah, so let's, let's just get to it. Any questions last week or anything that anybody wants to ask or discuss? I'm trying something different with my camera and I, hmm, I don't know. We'll see. Let me know what you think, if it's better or worse. I don't know if it's better. Kevin? Yeah. I have a question. Yes, Susan. Are we really free? Yes. From sin, but not free to do what we want to do. Well, we do have to, do? we should follow God's will. So don't we're not. Do, don't you want to do God's will? Yes, but I'm saying we're, we're not we're free. free. We're free to do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're free from, we'll get to this. That's, that's a very good point, Susan. That's exactly the point of chapter five is when we say we're free, our brains automatically go to um, what does that freedom mean as far as whose will gets to run the show? And that's, that's exactly the point is what do we mean by freedom? So that's exactly, you're exactly right. You hit it right on the head. What does it mean when we say we're free? And then are we really free 
and um, what exactly does that question even ask? So that, that's exactly right, Susan. You're, you hit it right on the head. That's exactly where we're heading. And hopefully by the end of, the, of tonight and maybe next week, um, you'll know the answer. If, if not, I've done something terribly wrong. But that could happen. Oh, so okay. We'll, yeah. So, so keep asking as we go if it's not clear, but that's exactly the, the point of Galatians 4 and 5. Very good. Okay, so let's, any other questions or thoughts? Okay, well, we are going to read Galatians chapter four, verses 21 through 31. And I think Linda's gonna do that for us. Oh, heck, I was gonna say Galatians chapter four, verse 21, just because I knew all those hard words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women were two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. All right. Thank you. Well, there you go. It's clear, isn't it? Yeah, that's, this is, this is one of those biblical texts that you kind of read and, and think, um, if you say so. So we're going to do our best to kind of cut through this and, and try to figure out Paul's main argument. Um, there is enough issues in this little section that we could spend uh, several weeks just talking about them, but we're going to avoid that if possible. And we're going to try to cut through to just kind of find Paul's main argument and try to trace that through. Okay. So, so number one, what do Hagar and Sarah represent? Slave and the promise. All right. Slave and promise. Good. So there's two covenants. One is one is slavery, and the other is promise. Okay, very good. So this is where it gets a little strange. You have the 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 covenant that ends in slavery and the covenant that is from the promise. So what that means is that the promise is also freedom, right? So you also have the contrast between slave and free. So Hagar 
is the slave and who's the promise? Sarah. Right, who's never named, right? So do, do you notice that, that Sarah isn't well, named? She is in the preliminary, the, the way this particular publisher set up the chapters and the groupings of Yeah, so the publisher the tells you her name. That's right. Yeah, the publisher's but like, otherwise, otherwise it's not in there. Yeah, the biblical text itself doesn't have it, right? So the publisher is going to tell you who these people are because he's like, or she, you need help understanding this. But the biblical text itself, it's she's not mentioned. Isn't that weird? Okay, so look through the chapter. Is she there? Who else isn't mentioned by name? Uh, the children. Well, one of them is. At the end, in 28. Oh, yes. Abraham. Okay. Abraham's not mentioned. Well, Abraham. Abraham, Abraham okay. is up at the front. He's at the beginning, very beginning. Abraham too, had two sons. So Abraham's mentioned. Haggai's mentioned. Isaac's mentioned. So you have Abraham, Hagar, and Isaac. Ishmael. You don't have Ishmael, Ishmael and Sarah, which is totally strange because... You know, that's not that's not who goes with whom. This is just kind of bizarre. So so this is kind of what Paul's doing. He's kind of going through this text and he's picking out the details he wants to give us and he's leaving others out kind of be to be insinuations or, or to, to be implications of this. Um, and there's there's reasons for the way he does this. Like I said, there's there's a lot to talk about in this. We're gonna kind of stick to his overall argument, but I just want you to notice the way he kind of um, rhetorically, meaning for argument's sake leaves out certain details and puts others in so that you have the slave the slave woman who is hagar and then you have the free woman who is sarah and then hagar gives birth to a son who is ishmael and then sarah who isn't mentioned gives birth to a son who is isaac okay and this is all from abraham Okay, so now this story is really primarily going to found in Genesis 16. That's your story to Hagar. And then Genesis 17 and 18 is really going to be the story of Sarah and, and Isaac. Okay, and then obviously Isaac will go through 22, which is the sacrifice of Isaac where he doesn't get sacrificed, right? So that's kind of where the story is located, though. He's, he's referring to Genesis in these chapters um, with the promises and the circumcision, all that kind of stuff. So that's, Evan, that's where we're looking kind of biblically. Yeah. Does this have any, is there any way you can read into this Jew and Gentile? You can read into it lots of things. So, so one of the ways to read it is that... Um, Okay, so one of the ways to read into it, so this is a strange thing, is that Hagar then is equated with Mount Sinai, okay? And that is very strange because what happened at Sinai? Ten Commandments? Right, the giving of 
the Torah. Okay, the giving of the law. And this is really what's strange is that the slave woman ends up being equated with Sinai where no Jew would say this. They would all say that Sarah and Isaac are what ends up at Sinai. Okay? Because remember, God's people are in this line. This is God's, this is God's people, not this. And Sinai is where God gave his people the law. As a matter of fact, Exodus 19 is at where God's people are actually called his people, which is right before Exodus 20, where Moses receives a law on Mount Sinai. So um, <clears throat> Martin Luther, who, who is, is prone to hyperbole, he said, I would not be as bold as Paul is here to make such an interpretation of the Old Testament text. Because this is this is almost the well not almost it is the exact opposite of what you would expect Paul to say about the Old Testament. So the question is, what is he getting at by doing by by twisting? So I mean this this would shock people who hear him say this. This would this would freak them out and say, I, Paul, I think I think you messed up. I think you meant to say that that this the free woman is Sinai. Okay, but what you got to understand is that what Paul's really pulling on here is that uh, okay so so what he's really getting Seven. at here is that the law has the effect of enslaving us okay he's not talking about the giving of the law as much as the effect of the law to actually enslave us and what he's going to talk about is that we are not children of the law, but children of the promise. Okay. So that's really the thrust of his argument is that we are not, those who are in Christ are not enslaved to the law. We are not children of the law, but we are born into the promise. We are given a new birth by Christ into the promise. Okay. Oh yeah. So uh does anybody remember the story of hagar and sarah so so let's let's just review that real quick just in case we've we've forgotten some of the details so so actually let's let's go let's just turn our bibles real quick to genesis 16 so genesis the first book of the bible chapter 16 so genesis 16 first book of the bible chapter 16 Okay, so in, in 15, God's going to repeat his promises to Abraham, okay? And um, in 15, 4, so Genesis 15, verse 4, God says, um, that this man, meaning his slave, will not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he said, so then he brought him outside and looked toward the heaven and number of the stars. If you were able to number them, he said, so shall your offspring be. And, and Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteous. Okay. So he actually makes the promise that Abraham's going to have a son. And then in 16, this is the problem. So in 16, one, it says this. Now, Sarai, that was Sarah's name before it got turned to Sarah. 
Abram's wife, that was Abraham's name before it became Abraham, had bore him no children. Okay, so Sarai, who was Sarah, was barren. No, no children to Abraham. And yet God promised that Abraham's offspring was going to, you know, be more numerous than stars in the sky and all that kind of stuff. And so here's a problem. So, so they're like, what's up? So Sarah said to Abram, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, listen, this is the important line. Abram listened, listened to the voice of Sarai. Okay. He listened to Sarah's voice. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into her, to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you for your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Okay. Now, I just want to make sure we're catching some of the allusions in Genesis 16. Okay. So, so what you have in Genesis 15 Okay, as I, as I like to warn you, you might want to find a friend, hold hands, and buckle in. Because this could get a little, it's going to be fun, but it could be a little bit bumpy ride. Okay, meaning I might write crazy things on the board and draw crazy stuff. But it's all going to be fun. So, everybody remember the story of the creation of the world? Remember that? Okay, you've read that before, Genesis 1 and 2? So in, in the story of creation, when everything is going well, God creates Adam, uh, we'll do man, and from man, he takes woman, and then the man and the woman are given dominion over the animals, right? Life is good when that's the right order, okay? In Genesis 3, the snake convinces the woman to eat fruit that God told her not to eat, the woman gave to the man so that they can become like God. Okay? So here's the order. And what's that? What happens there? That's sin and death, right? So now, in Abraham's story, God promises Abraham that he's going to conceive through his wife and bear a son, right? The animals aren't really involved. Well, they're involved later, but we'll get there. Okay. Um, so what happens then in Genesis 16, the woman tells her man that they're going to work together to do what God seems to be unable to do. And Abraham listens. And what happens? Not good stuff. Okay, so part of the message of the story is you want to make sure that that God is the one running the show. When God runs the show, it all goes well. All right. When the order gets flipped, when God is, is not the one running the show, sin and death. And Paul's point is slavery. 
we think that being free means we're on top. No, that's slavery. Freedom is when God is in, as one of my favorite theologians says, the God spot. Okay? When God is in his proper place as Lord and God, our life goes better and we are free. When we try to become God and God gets put secondary, that ends in sin and death, and that's bad. Okay? So in Paul's, in Paul's world, what he's saying is, when this was the order, when, when Sarah gave to Abraham Hagar, instead of listening to the promise of God, that child was a child of slavery. But when God's promise was kept to Abraham through Sarai, that son was free. Okay? So this is the son of promise. And that is freedom. Okay, so that's what's going on. So what happens then is, um, obviously, Sarah does conceive and give birth to a son. And also in seven in Genesis 17, then, Abraham is also given the covenant of circumcision and all those things. Okay, so that's the stories. Those are the stories we're kind of looking at. So, so what happens then in 16, I guess we should could finish the story. So this, this tension grows between Sarah and Hagar, obviously. And so Sarah kicks Hagar out into the wilderness. And then um, there's, a, there's a lot of wordplay in this story, a lot of weird stuff with the names. But then in, verse, in Genesis 16, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Ishmael means the Lord hears. Okay. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'ir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. Okay? So what you have going on here is that Hagar is kicked out of the presence of Abraham and Sarah. And yet, because she is attached to Abraham, she still receives God's blessing. And her son will still be blessed because her son is attached to Abraham. One of the things you learn in the book of Genesis is that God has a righteous guy. One guy that he's going to work through. And if you're attached to that guy, you get the blessings of God. Okay, And this obviously is a prophecy then of God's one righteous man jesus christ and we are attached to him you get all the blessings that come from the righteous guy so that, that sounds like a video somewhere sounds like a bible in five video on crucial productions but you can go watch that okay um so that's what that's the background of all of this stuff that's going on in galatians and i'm not sure i've helped any any questions from that does that kind of help us understand the background of all this any questions 
I, I do have a question. Uh, in, in what sense, I mean, I think we can understand in sort of the New Testament context, the idea of uh, gospel and law distinction. I, I'm sort of wondering from that Old Testament standpoint, uh, what, what is the slavery, I guess, that is, that is sort of analogous here? I mean, I, I guess, yeah, he, you know, she sort of sends them out into the wilderness and such. I mean, is that, is, is that sort of what he's referring to kind of on that? What, what, what's, the, what's the analogy he's, he's pulling there exactly? So, so she is, Hagar is literally the slave of Sarah. She's literally a slave. And so she's literally a slave woman. Um, that's one thing. But also, and this is this is where the analogy, like I said, gets really strange and what I just erased from the board, but was up there earlier, is that in the history of, of Israel and the history of Old Testament theology, Israel considered itself the, the child of slavery in a good way, meaning we are marked as those people who were in slavery in Egypt, but were saved by Yahweh from that slavery. And so now when Paul says Hagar represents Sinai, and that's a bad thing. This is really turning the whole metaphor on its head. Okay. So what they saw as, as their, their mark of redemption in God's people, the law, Paul is now saying is actually part of your slavery. Now, the question is, why would he say that? And this is, um, so number two, who was our mother? I, this is so complicated. I know I can see, I hear myself talking. It just sounds crazy. Um, so the question then is, who is our mother? And and the point is, our mother is is the the woman through whom the promise is given and promise is kept. Okay, and that is the church. Okay, so our mother. Jerusalem that is above is actually the church. And the reason it's the church is because the promise kept was kept through Isaac, but more importantly, in Jesus Christ. Okay, so that we are actually children of the promise, and specifically the promise that is kept in Jesus Christ. So when, when Paul says, our mother is Jerusalem above in that kind of language. What he's actually talking about is he's saying that we are not descendants of the law. We are not descendants of the law, but of the promise. Okay. And the promise that is specifically kept in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, this is, this has been a lot of talk about, Old Testament and theology and, and allusions and, and metaphor. But here's the point. This is what Paul is really getting the Galatians to try to understand is that when it comes between you and God, the law is no longer the thing that defines you. You've been set free from the law being the measuring stick by which you are measured in your standing before God. Okay, so the law, the, the slavery of the law does not condemn you anymore. Instead, you are free because the promise has been kept through the son of God, whose name is Jesus Christ. So you are now children of freedom. You're not law, 
You're not like Hagar. You are actually free in Christ. Okay, so go back then to last week in, in Galatians chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3, where we talked about, it, well, just look in your Bibles for a second. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. Since Paul says it explicitly, we can just look at it. So go back to Galatians 3 verses 10 and following. So Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evidence that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Okay? But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who has hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit by faith. So there in Galatians 3, Paul has begun the use of this language where promise is freedom and law is curse and slavery. Okay. All right. I know you guys have to have questions at this point because I do. Any other questions? Any questions? What are you guys thinking? Where have I lost you? I, I don't know about being lost, but I'm wondering about the application of this to the Levitical sacrif sacrificial system, um, and, and and whether the um, whether the Hebrews and the Israelites of of their day would have considered that uh, a burden, or I mean, I, I guess I'm thinking of two things. I mean, they lived by God's grace through that. Levitical sacrificial system, so that the, so that they could approach him, so that he could be with them. I mean, that was the whole idea there, but they couldn't really stop doing that either. You know, they could either decide like, oh, you know, we're not your people anymore. We'll go away. We won't do this anymore. But they were still sort of bound to everything that was, you know, tied up as as being his people. And they, in a way, I mean, this may not be a good characterization of God, but it's a little bit like having a tiger by the tail, right? Like you can't stop doing the sacrificial system. You can't stop atoning for your sin because that's how you are with God. I mean, you're sort of stuck there. And, and I wonder, I mean, they would consider it in, in their day to be sort of a, a gracious and good thing. Um, but in the context of Christ, where that's all been paid for, I mean, we are sort of unbound from from that sacrificial system because he's done it. And, and I don't know if that's a, a, a good way of looking at that or thinking about that. Um, well, the book of Hebrews makes the point that, <coughs> sorry, the book of Hebrews makes the point that the sacrificial system was actually enslaving us because it had to be repeated because the sacrifice was never perfect and the one making the sacrifice was never perfect. So we we're actually trapped in this loop of having to continually sacrifice. One of the things that Christ did that to end of that cycle was he actually sacrificed himself once for all. So now we're not going back to the same sacrificial system every year, but instead the sacrifice is made once for all and the sacrifice was actually better. So, the entire sacrificial system actually did enslave the people um, to these yearly pilgrimages, to these yearly sacrifices. And remember, this was part of the burden of the exile is that they weren't able to do the sacrifices anymore. I was just going to ask about that, if that had any significance then when they couldn't do that anymore. And what did that mean for them as a people? Exactly. And that was actually the big question following the exile is, are we the people of God if we're not doing the things that define us as a people of God, meaning going to Jerusalem for the sacrifices? 
offering the daily sacrifices in the temple or the tabernacle? What if we don't have a tabernacle? What if we don't have a temple? What if we don't have a sacrificial system? Are we still the people of God? And the Pharisees' answer was, if you obey Torah, you are the people of God. So their whole view in the, in the Pharisees was, obey Torah, obey the law, right? The Sadducees said, we have to re- constitute the temple and the sacrifices in order to be people of God. So they wanted to, they were all about the temple. And they said, well, if, if the Romans are the way for us to reconstitute the temple, we'll get, we'll, we'll get in line with the Romans, whatever it takes. Right. And so this was the two warring ideas at the time of Jesus was in order to be people of God, Sadducees, reinstitute the temple, reinstitute the sacrifices, Pharisees follow the law. Jesus walks in and says, you're both wrong. You're both right. The people of God are defined by sacrifice and his word. But you're wrong in looking to the temple in Jerusalem, and you're wrong at looking to the Torah. I am the word. I am the sacrifice. I am God with you. And, and he says, God's people are defined by those who listen to the voice of Yahweh in their midst. And they are the people who are constituted by the action of God to save his people. So, so this then becomes that the whole thrust of Jesus' ministry is that he walks into this milieu where the, the temple was destroyed, rebuilt, but the, but the sacrifices were never reinstituted fully. And 10 of the tribes never came back from, from exile. So we're missing most of the people of Israel. Um, the Pharisees are saying, we don't need to get back to Jerusalem. We'll just be, build synagogues wherever we find Jews. And, and that way we just obey Torah. And the, the whole, Jesus' whole point is, you are not reconstituting the people of Israel by your actions. Instead, God is now coming to you in his Messiah. And that Messiah will be both the presence of Yahweh in your midst he will be the temple, he will be the tabernacle, he will be the sacrifice, and he is the word of God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. So when Jesus dies, he is the sacrifice. He is the, the end of all sacrifice. When, when he is God in the flesh, he is the fulfillment of the temple. And when he speaks, when he teaches, he is the word of God to God's people. And so this then ends all of the law, all the sacrifices, all of the temple, it's ended in the ministry of Jesus. And Paul is saying that because we are in Christ, we are not children of the slavery of the law of Sinai. We are children of, of the promise of the free woman who gives birth to the child of promise. And his name is Jesus. That's who we are. Okay. And that comes again, don't go back now and say, well, that comes by observing the law. No, no, no. That comes by believing in the one who is the child of the promise. Okay. Does that, make, does that help? It does. It's good. And actually, I, I also kind of wonder, I mean, just about the life cycle of, uh, I mean, it's the history of, of scripture, right? It's, it's the history of humanity through scripture is the cycle of, you know, the patriarchs and then the Exodus and God tabernacling. And then now we've got an ark and now we've got a, 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 a temple and we've got these sacrifices. And then actually, no, all that goes away. I, I was thinking about the, the passage, you know, that at the right time, Christ came in. It seems like kind of the perfect, like some people ask, well, like, why was that the time? But in some ways it's like, how could any other time be the time kind of, because if Christ had, had 
come, you know, during the middle of, of the temple era or, or, or something like that. I mean, there would have been, it, it seems like just, it was, it was time for that to really be ended. And he came because, you know, really comparatively, there was no, there was nothing else. I mean, there was no, nothing for them. And I think you made a pretty, pretty good case that he fulfills all of that stuff that was basically missing. Right. And, and um, this is even talked about in the book of Daniel where Daniel sees the visions and actually sees the, the, the Greek empire, the Roman empire. He sees all this unfolding before him in his dreams. And he talks about, you know, during this Roman, this empire of iron that crushes that then the child will be born. Who is, who is the promise, who is the one, the, the gift of God who saves his people. I mean, this is all in Daniel. This is, this is right there where God has this all planned out in history through the, the medio Persian empire you know, all the way through the Greek empire, the Roman empire, it's all set up for Christ to come at the, at the right time. Okay. One question we had online was why would a loving and holy God require a sacrifice to the atonement of sin? It's a very good question. Um, a question is asked all the time. And um, in some ways it's difficult to answer in some ways it's very simple to answer. And the answer is that, that why would a loving God require this? The answer is that this is love, that God shows his love in that he doesn't destroy us because of our sin, but he always provides for us a means of forgiveness. And the sacrifice for atonement in the Old Testament was a gift to his people. Without this, what they had was, was sinful people confronted with a holy God. And the only thing a holy God can do with sin is destroy it, is punish it, is, is meet out his, ju his justice, his punishment against sin. He said, if you sin, you die. So then when he shows up and they're sinners, he can't say, well, I was just kidding about that whole dying thing. No, you actually die. That's the problem. And so when God lives in the midst of his people and his people are sinful, it's a gracious activity of God to say, I will accept a sacrifice on behalf of your sin. And when you sacrifice that animal, I will actually count you as forgiven. So this was actually the, the sacrificial system in Leviticus in, in, in the Old Testament was actually a gracious action of God to say, um, we, can, we can live in fellowship. I can live in your midst as, as your God, and you can be my people. And when it comes to your sin, I will provide the means through which that sin is forgiven. So it, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a gracious action of God. But, but as we learn in the New Testament, but it was an incomplete gracious action. It was, a, it was a gracious action that was leading to an even more gracious action. So it says in, in John um, that, well, let's just, let's just do that. Let's, let's turn to John chapter 1. I was planning on doing this later, but we'll do it now. So let's go to John chapter 1. Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, they were very kind to us. They gave us names we can pronounce at the beginning of the, of the New Testament there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John chapter 1, how do we want to do this? Well, let's look at verse 16. Um, it's just, and then we'll go backwards is why I'm thinking this, but that's okay. We'll start at verse 16. So chapter 1, verse 16, John 1, 16 says this, and from his fullness, we have all received, now listen to this, grace upon grace now listen to what he says for the law was given to moses and that was grace 
And that was good. And that was a gift. And that was holy. And that was, that was God being merciful and just to his people. But it was not the end. It was not the fullness thereof. What does he say? For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, now, now this graciousness of God that was, that was foretold, but in a very small way through the sacrificial system, is now exploded in that God's grace is this way that he's not saying here's a sacrifice you can do to be forgiven. He's saying, here's the sacrifice that I will make so that you are forgiven. And here's the bigger thing. The sacrifice is God himself. So it's not just God saying, I will count that animal for you, or I will count a person for you. No, God, I will actually become flesh, dwell among us, and he himself will be the sacrifice, the one perfect sacrifice so that there's no more sacrifice needed by any other person ever in the history of the world. That is grace upon grace. And then it gets even better because God gives it to you freely. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do anything to get it. It is given to you as a gift. And that's why John says, this, this is just grace upon grace. This is just beyond what we could even fathom. So the entire sacrificial system was God's mercy to allow his people to be in fellowship with him. But it was a prophecy of a greater gift yet to come. And that greater gift to come is in Jesus Christ. Okay. So now what Paul is saying to the Galatians is, if you reject Jesus as the sacrifice and you go back to the other sacrifice, you're actually enslaving yourself because those sacrifices are not the real sacrifice that forgives sins. The sacrifice that forgives sins before God for all of eternity is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that sets you free. If you try to go back to the old system and live under the law, you're actually rejecting the freedom in Christ and being enslaved again to the law. And Paul says, don't. You are not children of Hagar. You are not children of Sinai. You are children of the promise. And you are children of Jerusalem that is above, that is free. Okay? Does that, does that help? Does that make sense? I think furthermore, the interesting thing is at that point, you're making sacrifices to a God who doesn't really exist. I mean, you're making sacrifices to someone who is not accepting your sacrifices so you are now a pagan and uh that, that's kind of an interesting thought too is that if somebody if somebody rejects the free gift of god to have done all of that and you insist on continuing in a sort of a works-based i mean who are you doing that for kind of for nobody kind of for potentially the demons that are going to fill that spot where you know god's already moved on from there well, interesting enough you've now flipped the direction because god is not the one saying do the sacrifices now God is saying, I've sacrificed my son, Jesus Christ. Now the church are those who trust in Jesus as a sacrifice from God. When we do works, we say, no, 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 God, your way doesn't make sense. I'm going to do something to earn it. And you're, you've actually flipped the promise on its head. And this is actually the problem with theology of works. It's not because we can't do it. That is a problem. But the bigger problem is it's telling God he's wrong about how we are to be saved. And that's that's what you're getting at. So you're actually not trusting in, in God as he truly is. You're actually inventing a new God. 
Yeah. Okay. And, I, and I think that all that also just a quick little comment is why, I mean, sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, all of the people of, you know, Islam and the people of, of uh, you know, I guess, modern day Jews and things like that. Well, it's the same God, isn't it? Isn't it the same God? And actually, in fact, it is not the same God. It is not the same God at all. Um, remember, the God of the scriptures is exclusively the God who is revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the God of the, of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God whose son is incarnate in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is no other God. Okay. Everything else is a false, false representation of God. Kevin, before yes. you go further, okay. why did God allow Hagar to go ahead and have a son? If, I mean, he could have stopped it right there and not had Ishmael, and then he promised that he would have multiple uh, offspring. Yeah, and the amazing thing is not only does he allow him to have Ishmael, Ishmael becomes the father of 12 sons, which is the same amount of sons that um, Israel is, ended up having at the end of Genesis. So not only does he allow it, he actually, he becomes a great nation. Um, some people even say this is the, the, the beginning of the Arabs, right? You have the Arabs and the Jews, and they're kind of different one's from Ishmael, one's from Isaac, maybe. Um, but but yeah, not only does he allow it, he actually um, blesses Ishmael. So this is what I was alluding to before, is that when you read through the book of Genesis, um, God has his guy. So God has his one righteous guy. And if you are attached to that guy, you are blessed no matter what. Okay? So... In the beginning, it's Adam, and, and that, that kind of fizzles. But, but the next righteous guy is Seth, and the children of Seth are blessed. They are the ones who call upon the name of the Lord, which is another big theme in Genesis. They call upon the name of the Lord, right? And the children of Seth are blessed. And that blessing goes down to Noah. And, and this is kind of where this theme starts to be very apparent, is that Noah is the only righteous man on earth. So he builds a boat and he gets on the boat, but God says, take your sons with you and their wives. And what happens is Noah and his family are blessed, not because his sons are righteous, but simply because God's righteous guy, Noah, is blessed and all those who are with him. Okay. And then that's the story of Noah, oddly enough, leads to the story of Abraham. And what you see is that those who are attached to Abraham, so you have Ishmael and Lot, neither whom are children of the promise, but both who get blessed because of their attachment to Abraham. Because God's righteous guy receives from God blessings, also those who are attached to him get blessings. Now, why he allowed Hagar to pregnant? I don't know. That's, that's kind of up to God to answer that one. But this is what happens as a result is simply because Hagar is attached to Abraham. So Ishmael then is born and not just allowed to be born, but actually ends up being blessed and becomes the father of a great nations. So I, I can't, I can't always answer for, for why God does what he does. I can just explain the results. And so what we have then is we, is we, we continue this theme that, that Hagar 
actually ends up having a son who is blessed simply because of her attachment to Abraham, even though it really isn't the child of promise. That ends up being Isaac. And Isaac's children are blessed because of their attachment to, to Isaac. And then that goes through Jacob. And then you have the 12 tribes. Maybe it's a representation of God showing that his blessings can go wherever he chooses and that right it's it's symbolic so kind of the flip side of what paul's doing is then you say well if ishmael is blessed because of his attachment to abraham what does he represent the gentiles who are not the children of isaac and yet are blessed because of the promise given to abraham right it's still all about the promise and so the fact that Abraham is promised to be a blessing to the nations, it actually affects even Ishmael and his descendants, not just the actual children of the promise. And so that is the way that like it's taken other parts in the New Testament where this promise to the nations actually goes out specifically through Isaac and Jacob, but it also includes the Gentiles. Okay, which is really where we're at now as an international church where, you know, obviously we don't see Christianity as an ethnic issue. <clears throat> we don't see. <clears throat> okay. So, so regarding the blessing, is that then a parallel to our lives now as Christians being a blessing to those around us, our neighbors, even if they aren't saved? Yeah. So what happens if you are, if you are God's righteous person, if you are the one who's forgiven of your sins, you now exist in everybody's life that you know as God's person, you are a child of God and he will bless them through you. Why? One, because you will teach them his word. You will teach them who God is and you'll witness to him, but also because you will love them with the love of God in Christ. So, so yeah, <coughs> this actually continues where God will bless through his people. And, and this is um, actually a pretty big theme in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So let's go on. We got to get through at least four questions tonight. So who is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham? Thank you. Who is the actual fulfillment of the promise to Abraham? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. So um, let's just look at verses, chapter four, beginning at verse 27, I guess it is. The quote, the quote from Isaiah. Rejoice, O barren one, who, has, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the one who has a husband. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah 54. And this goes back to the history of Israel. Remember, I said they were in exile. Isaiah 54 is actually, um, it's a transition chapter between the promises that were given to Israel while they're in exile, and then also chapter 56 and following is going to talk about what Israel looks like as they've returned from exile and the promised new Jerusalem, including the Jerusalem that is above. And what, what actually happens is that Isaiah promises that the barren one will be more blessed than the one who is not barren, basically. And so Paul is saying, look, Isaac came not from a woman who is fertile, but from a barren woman. And the only way that Isaac actually happened 
was because God is faithful to his promises. And this is how we trust in God. We trust in him based on his promises. And um, so, so what Paul is getting at here, so if you just look at the text. So he says, now you brothers, in verse 28, in Galatians 4.28, but you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time, he who is born according to the flesh persecuted who is born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. What he's saying is that we are not children of the law. We are not children of the way that people kind of figure it, this is all going to work out. Instead, we are children of the promise. And just flip back for a second to the end of Galatians chapter 3. Just look how this works. Don't forget this. So Galatians 3.24. So just back one. I think literally back one chapter. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under, under a guardian. We are free. Right? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have, have put on Christ. Okay, so then there's no longer Jew or Greek, all that kind of stuff. We went through that. But then if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Okay, so now he's bringing it all back together by using this really weird extended metaphor. He's making the same point he made at the end of chapter three. He's making it again in chapter four. And he's saying the son of Abraham, who was the blessing to the world through promise, is Jesus Christ. And because you are sons of God through Christ Jesus, you are free. Don't define yourself by the law. Don't look at the law and say, in order to stand before God and be righteous, I have to follow the law. Don't look at yourself and say, in order to be loved, I have to follow the law. Instead, look at Jesus Christ and say, God kept his promise in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I am someone who has forgiven my sins. I'm a child of God because of God's action, because of his promise kept in Jesus. And that's, that's our freedom, our freedom from sin and death. Okay. Any questions? Any thoughts? Uh, just to comment on the juxtaposition of improbability by the reckoning of the world versus God's action. I mean, it's all, I mean, if he hadn't worked through a barren woman, what, you know, what would you have to say about it? If, uh, you know, all, all of the, like the weird oddball ways that God just sort of decides like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do things like completely differently than, than you would think. Uh, you know, even like the, the, the weapons that God gives to his prophets and things, you know, like a, a stick to, to, to part the sea so that one man destroys the entire army of Egypt or a jawbone of a donkey to kill Philistines or like all of just the weird things that he does so that there is no chance that somebody could say, yeah, well, you know, that was me that did that or, or whatever. And I think that's, you know, it, with regard to the question about, well, you know, why, why, why allow, uh, you know, the other uh, Hagar to have children or, or why, you know, uh, why not? Because if you've got a, if you've got a holy and righteous people that he is going to work some just really weird things uh, in order to, you know, in order to bring about his will, like it's hard to, it's hard to argue against it. Yeah. And, and so, um, 
That's exactly right. It's hard to argue against it. And so when you talk about women giving birth, this is actually a major theme in the Bible, um, more so than some people are comfortable talking about. But um, women giving birth and all the acts associated thereof um, are actually a big issue in the Bible, even when it comes down to um, circumcision and some of the other rites in the Bible. But don't forget this. Don't forget this, that Sarah is barren, right? She doesn't have children until God promises and gives her a child. Hannah. I can't spell tonight. Hannah is barren. Doesn't have any children until God promises and gives her one. Okay. Um, Samson's mom. Also barren. Okay. And it just keeps going. And you can look at all the women in the Old Testament who are barren. And then you get to the New Testament. And who in the New Testament is barren? Uh, Zacharias, uh, Elizabeth. Yes. Elizabeth. Elizabeth is barren. And she gives birth to a son by the promise of God. And Elizabeth's husband says to God, uh, no, it, it does, you don't understand how this works, okay? And, and so Zechariah is actually struck dumb. He can't talk, which I don't know why they made signs to him since he's the one who couldn't talk. But they give birth to a son named John and everyone goes, wait a minute, this story sounds familiar. This is the stuff that God did in the Old Testament when he wanted to show up to his people through the promise of a son. They're like, wow. And then God says, you think that's neat? Watch this. So then Mary comes along and she's not barren. What is she? Virgin. 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 Okay. So God says, you think it's cool that I can work through a barren woman and her <laughs> husband? Watch this. Okay. And then Mary comes, and I want you to see this. She is the string. She's the end of the string of God working through women who can't have children, but they do because of a promise. And now he walks up and Mary conceives and has a child while being a virgin. And God says, now that's the son I've been talking about the whole time. You know, and then it's kind of interesting after that, just a quick little comment too, is that up until that point, everybody is worried about being a parent, being a parent. I want to be a father. I'm going to be a mother. I'm going to be a father. I want children. I want children. I want children. In the New Testament, it's all about now you are the children, you know, and God is your father. And it's all about be a child, be a child, be a child, be a child. Mm -hmm. Because, because why was this such a big deal? Why was this woman, barren, son, I want to be a parent. Why was that a big deal? Lineage? Lineage is one thing, but even more than that, how will we finally defeat the devil? By bearing an off by, by the uh, offspring, seed a seed of the woman. Of a woman. Well, what happens when women can't have babies? We're like, God, is it going to work? Are you going to do it? And so what happens is, is all of a sudden, the question is, how is the seed of the woman going to happen? And what Paul's going to get at here, we've, we've obviously run out of time, but, but one of the things Paul gets at here is that this seed of the woman doesn't come by human action. It comes with the promise of God. And, and this then obviously 
is the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ through the Virgin Mary, is that this is clearly, as you said before, clearly not the work of a human. This is simply God keeping his promise through Mary and her son, Jesus. Okay, so you say, well, you know, these guys were all prophets and had major roles. Who's this guy born of a virgin? Well, he's actually God in the flesh. And that then is the son of Abraham, the child of promise, and all who are in him get the promise. Now, Susan, you asked an hour ago, well, freedom, does that mean you can do whatever you want? Here's what Paul's going to say. Tune in next week, because this is what Paul's going to say. Now, you, you're, you're totally free. You're children of freedom. This is great. Now, don't use freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Instead, live in the freedom that is the Spirit of God and walk according to the Spirit. Because your will, your flesh, will always enslave you again to the law. But God's will and God's Spirit is freedom. Not the freedom to sin, but the freedom from sin. And here's the thing, part of faith is believing that living according to the will of God is good and is freeing, and living according to our desires is actually enslavering us to sin. So it's actually living in slavery to sin to do what I want. So the real answer is, I am freed from necessarily doing what my sinful desires would want me to do and i'm free to do what god desires and that is true freedom okay i know it's late we got to go let's pray and then but but if anybody has any questions i'm more than willing to stick around since i i talk too much i'm sorry um it happens when you get old you should talk too much so let's pray lord god heavenly father through all of this through all of these confusing things and hard to understand stories and metaphors and allegories and people you worked to save us. And for that, we are thankful. We are thankful that you have called us by your spirit through this word to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in him, to be forgiven of our sins and to be called your children. Let us live lives of joy and thankfulness for all the grace and mercy you've had on us. And now bless us this night as we sleep. May we sleep in the peace and joy of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Happy birthday. Happy Thank birthday. you, Ken. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Eight. To you. <laughs> to you. We, we kind of like you old, so stay the way you are. Thanks. I'll be older next week again. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Let's see what we have. Who's holding up? Jim, you got a question? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, to comment too, our son's, uh, our youngest son's birthday is today also. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah.
but my my comment was more than just or just satisfaction more than anything but when when uh hagar got pregnant and had had ishmael it was 10 years had gone by before uh she was or sarah was it was got pregnant probably is that right it might Got that. 13 it's about 13 years 13 years okay all right all right that's a, that's a good long time there that, that, yeah that after so that Ish ishmael. isaac and ishmael are not you know like brothers are not that close of brothers even yeah no um so yeah so yeah it's it's a long time um i always yeah. maintain that the time in the old testament stories is one of the factors that we don't really get usually right because we yeah. read them kind of as a smushed up story and we don't realize all this time has passed. Right. So, I mean, you can imagine, oh, it's easy for us to kind of say, why don't you just trust in God's promises and not try to go make it work your own way? Mm -hmm. but, you know, you've waited for stuff. Six months is a long time. How about 13, 14? Years? Right. Yeah. I'm 90. I could die tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, he's not a young man. He's not like, oh, I'm 20. It'll happen sometime. No, he's, He's like 86 years old, right? right. I mean, like he's old. As Paul says, when his body was as good as dead. And his wife's as good as dead too. I mean, she was all yeah. dried up according to Paul. And, you know, <laughs> so they're not like looking around going, we'll get to it. They're kind of going, well, God, I thought you said this was going to happen. We better get on it now. Well, and I, and I think we're all guys here left. So, you know, the funny thing is, 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 um, <laughs> 